Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Over the next hour, you'll have the opportunity to listen to Cynthia Hyatt, an internationally recognized therapist and life management expert in private practice with offices in Phoenix and Scottsdale. As a captivating communicator, Cynthia engages, energizes, and inspires her audiences to become all God created them to be. For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and we are doing a two-part series on a very special, very, I believe, important topic, and that is the issue of suicide. I have had so many people, um, clients, asking me about this new um, series, 13 Reasons Why, about the young woman that had committed suicide and how she did it and the 13 reasons why she did it. And I have to tell you, it it is, from a clinician's point of view, extremely disturbing. And so I felt really compelled to do a show on suicide. So we're going to do today's show is the reasons why people suicide And next week, we are going to talk about why not, the reasons not to suicide and why that's possible, how that's possible, how we help people with this, and the importance of truly addressing what in many ways is becoming one of the largest increases that we have seen in in behaviors that are so dangerous. And so what I have found in a lot of the research is that the suicide rate for girls and young women in the United States has risen at a pace far faster than it has for young males, when actually males usually um, and still to some degree out, outrank women in the level of suicide attempts and suicide successes. And so this is the report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And it said that there were 5,178 suicide deaths among young people aged from 10 to 24 in 2012. And that suicide was the second leading cause of deaths in that age group after accidents. So accidental death and suicide is the highest, is the the greatest reason for people dying in the age, in in between the ages of 10 and 24. that's, That's amazing to think about. And so the second rate increased for young people, both genders, since 2007. So the suicide rate has completely increased since 2007 to 2012, and it remains three times higher for young males than it does for females. But we see this huge exponential increase in females. And so what they're finding is the increase in female suicides, young female suicide, is steadier. We're not exactly sure why that might be. Um, We do have more girls and women hanging themselves, which is very unusual, or they're using different forms of suffocation. And so the method is far more lethal than drug overdose, and this method is more common among younger females of hanging and suffocation. They rarely use um, firearms to do that. They rarely jump off buildings. It, it, It is a very sobering thing here we have to face that our young people are struggling to this degree that they are somehow able to think that this is a solution. And so we do know that young men are more likely to use firearms, and 
the rate for young women went from 2.2 to 3.4 per 100,000 people. And that's the highest since 1981 when all this tracking began. And so the rate for young men went from 10.7 to 11.9. That's per 100,000 young men. And that rate seems to have somewhat leveled off in the last couple of years. So suicide rates for younger people, it's varied over the years, but the most recent upward trend started around 2007. And there were about 4,300 or more suicide deaths in 2007, and it went to 5,264 in 2013. So suicide rates for, for um, older adults tend to be higher in the range of 15 to 20% per 100,000 people. And we're going to talk about the issue of older people in, certainly in the um, more retired age. And so I think it's in, amazing to see that this startling rise in suicide in the United States is, is so amazing that if you ever needed proof that the mental health disorders are public health issue, all you have to do is look at suicide rates over the last decade and a half. And so deaths from suicide now, when they are measuring up to 1999 to 2014, increased 24%. And so we're not really exactly sure how to pin down why the rates are increasing. Certainly there are multifarious factors that contribute to mental illness and self-harm. But the study results are a huge wake-up call that suicide is now the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. And that is a tragedy. That is a tragedy. We live in the best country on the planet. We have the most opportunity, the most options, the most help that you could have. And out of all the ways that we have people dying, the 10th highest is suicide. That is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. So it truly is a a public health issue. And it is preventable. You see, this is what's so staggering about this. Many of the, you know, when we said it's the 10th largest, the 10th highest or, um, reason for, for um, death in the United States is that the first reason for death down to the ninth reason, those are not preventable. Those are, those are many, many things that, that we cannot find necessarily ways to prevent. But suicide is preventable. And so, so what we want to think about that the increase in suicide is mostly driven by white men and women. Um, and so we do have American Indians and Alaska Native communities have higher increases in suicide rate in the last 15 years. But white men and white women are tapping out on this. And we see middle-aged men between 45 to 64 saw the greatest uptick in suicide rates among any male age group. So this rising rate, though, in young women is particularly noteworthy to, to us, and it is very serious. And the number of deaths by suicide for females 10 to 14 used to be low when compared to other age groups, but they now have the largest rate increase, a staggering rate of 200% increase in suicide. That is age 10 to 14 have increased in suicide by 200%. What is happening with our young girls? So, again, suicide uh, continues to be mostly a white male issue. They make up about 83% of the suicides up to about 2014. But we are seeing a large increase all the way across the the board. 
And so this increase in suicide rates among different ethnic groups also varies according to age. And the suicide rate for both men and women, for instance, white men and women increased the most among the middle-aged, from 45 to 64. That's notwithstanding the increase of young women from 10 to 14. And so the reality of part of the stigma of mental health is one of the reasons that we see this continued increase and we see the breakdown that people are having, that they are not seeing other options. And so there's this alarming trend. And what we want to look at is while there's been much research done on suicide, most of the studies have been focused on little subgroups, such as non-Hispanic or white middle-aged. And so what they're doing is they are trying to broaden this picture. And, and what's happening is that the rates are increasing steadily since 1999 for both male and females and for all groups under the age of 75 years. So we understand that stigma plays an important role in mental health, but also in suicide much more broadly, as suicide is not simply a result of mental illness. It's not just mental illness. Even when at-risk individuals do seek health care, the stigma about suicide can prevent them from disclosing their thoughts about suicide to their medical providers. Much of that is, is the fear of what, what's going to happen to them. And are they going to immediately be um, taken away and put into a psychiatric ward? And so they're afraid to come forward with mental health disorders like depression. And they tend to suffer in silence a lot. And professor of psychiatry and behavioral um, sciences at Stanford Healthcare told the Huffington Post, if it were, to, were more accepted, I believe we would have su- fewer suicides. And what happens is this idea that somehow if we accept this, that we're going to have an increase in suicide. Now, we're not accepting this as a viable option. That's not the acceptance piece we're talking about. What we're talking about is accepting this as a human condition, that since the beginning of time, humans have struggled with this feeling of, I want to die. I don't know how to live. I can't live this way. This is part of the human condition. And the acceptance piece is accepting this as a medical, mental issue versus it being something outside or some aberration of humans or something abnormal, that what we want to say is, under regular circumstances, that may be abnormal. But every human has struggled with this. So what we want to do is we want to take that stigma and not make this be this ethical, moral um, issue or, or something that is characterological of this, of this particular person that's struggling with this. And so it's important for people to know that help is available and that there are ways to overcome this and that nobody chooses necessarily to be suicidal. Nobody wants to feel that way. Nobody is happy to feel that way. This is nothing anyone ever asked for. And there are many, many contributing factors, and some of those we're going to talk about, the the contributing factors that lead someone to the place of feeling suicidal, having suicidal ideations, or thoughts of death. And so I want to make sure that you stick with me today. This is certainly a, um, a difficult topic, but a very, very necessary one as we see euthanasia rising, suicide rising, and, and in a time where we have more help available to us, in a time where we have all kinds of industry, all kinds of media, and all kinds of ways to communicate with people, we still feel more alone than we ever have. We still feel more separate. 
we still feel worse about ourselves than we ever have in some ways. And so we're wanting to really understand what this issue is, how to ward against it, how to help, and what to do if you're feeling like that and if you are struggling with that. Because there, there are truly resources and there are ways. And there is nothing shameful about those feelings or those thoughts. It has everything to do with what we're going to do with the thoughts and the feelings. And there are ways out of it and there are ways around it that allow the person to have a life that is meaningful, that is purposeful. But one that we have to ward against shaming people for that or looking at them as if they're weird or wrong. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we continue to understand why people suicide. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today. If you're just joining in, we are talking about a very, very heavy topic today, but a very necessary one, and that is suicide and euthanasia. And what we see in our society as to how quickly the rate of suicide and euthanasia is rising. And one of the things that we are finding is that we have higher rates among young girls from 10 to 24. It's risen almost 200%. And this is, this is a tragedy, and this is staggering. And so I want to give you some more, just a, a little bit more raw data, some more percentages when it comes to euthanasia. And euthanasia, we understand, is the willful desire to kill oneself or to have a mercy killing, which means that somebody else assists me in that, if there is a life-threatening fatal disease that there is no cure for and the pain and the anguish and the destruction to my body feels unbearable to the person. They can't live through that. They can't live anymore with it. There is a tendency, uh, I don't know if you remember the Shivo case, that they want to somehow use that as a case for euthanasia, and actually that is an incorrect definition. Because in that case, she had a feeding tube and she didn't want to continue with the feeding tube. And so that is not necessarily an overt act of euthanasia. What, what was happening with her body is that her body wasn't alive any longer, and she wanted to die naturally. That's very different than actually killing oneself. So what she was saying is, I, w- I want to go back to the way humans were before we had all this help that prolonged a person's life. So she was saying, naturally, I should be dying and going through the dying process, so I don't wish to supernaturally prolong my life. So euthanasia is the assisted suicide or the mercy killing. So it is helping someone take their own life or taking someone's life for them if they're unconscious or whatever that may be. So what we see in the Netherlands is a huge increase in euthanasia. So there, I, I get different varying ones, 10% rise, 13% rise, um, one in 30 deaths in Holland are forms of euthanasia. This is this is crazy. Um, there's um, we have more euthanasia with animals now because of the rising cost of veterinary expenses, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. But 
what we have here are these two very significant issues, and we have euthanasia also increasing in the United States and much legislation with people that are lobbying to fight for the right to euthanize, themselves euthanize another person, their loved one. So we have these very big two issues. Why do people suicide? Why euthanasia? Or why mercy killing? And so the definition of suicide is the act of or instance of taking one's own life voluntarily and intentionally. Or it's the ruin of one's own interests or political, like a political suicide. So we use that word interchangeably. We either use it literally or we use it interchangeably to say something has been completely obliterated, has been killed, it's over. So when we say someone has um, entered into a political suicide, what we understand is that their career is over, it's dead, won't be resurrected. What we find with people that have a tendency to suicide is they're not always fully understanding that it really is over. Or they are thinking that whatever is going on in their life, the, the situation that they find themselves in or a mistake that they have made, is that that has ended their life as they know it and there is no life after that. So they, want, they do want to then end their physical life. So one of the things that we want to really help people with is understanding that there's always life after things. It may not be the life you wanted, but it can actually even be better. So time is of our greatest, um, that's our greatest ally when people are wanting to suicide, is biding time. So we also have this, for, this, this term that I'm going to use sometimes. It's called suicidal ideations. And suicidal ideations, you have to understand that the word ideation, that is the formation of ideas or images. So when we talk about a suicidal ideation, it's a little bit different than suicidal thoughts. Suicidal thoughts say, I want to kill myself, I want to die, I can't live this way, I don't necessarily want to die, but I don't want to live. Suicidal ideations is envisioning how you will do it. It's thinking of what it would be like after you were dead. It's thinking about how all the people are going to react if you do take your life. What's the funeral going to look like? It's these types of things. That's what a suicidal ideation is about. So when we look at this, this whole idea of causes, the, the greatest cause of suicide is, is mental illness by far. And we have different forms of mental illness. We have uh, bipolar disorder. We have borderline personality disorder, which is a personality disorder that is marked by um, incredible amounts of destabilization in that person's mind, in their heart, in their life, in their feelings. It, it is a very unstable, what we would call an unstable personality. And it's fraught with a lot of psychic pain. These people are in a ton of psychic pain and need a great deal amount of compassion and patience. And so they are, are fraught with ideas that go back and forth, and, and they have a very difficult time stabilizing themselves to have a nice, what we call a psychological homeostasis. So the other ones that we have certainly are depression and all forms of the depressive disorder. We have drug and alcohol abuse. That has a great amount to do with um, how suicides occur. And generally the drug and alcohol abuse have... Um, have always a psychiatric underlying issue, whether that be anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, any, you know, depression. And when we see psychiatric illnesses, we understand that many times we get a secondary issue, which is drug and alcohol use, because it's trying to mitigate the pain of the psychiatric distress. And so we also have schizophrenia. We have stressful life issues. 
serious financial setbacks, relational problems, rejections. And when we talk about relational problems as one of the precursors to suicide, what we're thinking about is what's going on with that person that they are destabilized in that way, that the setback, the, um, the rejection, the relationship not working out, not getting into the college that I want, um, my appearance, I don't look the way that I think I should. And, and it's really understanding why this is a mental health issue, that when we go down that road that we're not able to manage a setback or a hardship, and our mind, our heart, our, our brain begins to tell us that suicide then is the solution. That's where we know we have to do major intervention. And we have to kind of trace it back to what hap- what's happening with this person that suicide would somehow seem like a viable option and a pleasant option or the best option. So when we look at things that are, are more lifestyle or what you would experience in life or feelings that may lead to drug and alcohol abuse or may, if we have depression superimposed upon shame or anger or sadness, then we get an inflated feeling. We get a bigger feeling that for maybe an average person feeling those feelings, it doesn't feel as unmanageable. Uncomfortable, horrible, terrible, yucky, all of those, yes, but not unmanageable. When we have someone that struggles with some form of mental illness and then they have these negative feeling states, then it becomes very unmanageable for them. So it would be things like feeling ashamed or guilty or like they're a burden to other people. It's, it's this uh, victimization issue. If I've been victimized and I now feel like a victim, like everything is happening to me, that is part of one of those roads that leads me down to this terrible solution of suicide. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment as we talk about why, why people suicide. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com and Facebook, Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and today we are talking about a very difficult topic, and that is suicide, suicide and euthanasia, or mercy killing. And so I want to make sure that you can hear this show in its entirety, because we are also going to do a part two next week, which is all the reasons why not to suicide, how to help with that, what we can do. And so this first segment, this uh, first show, is really more education and talking about percentages and statistics and why suicide happens and euthanasia is, is seen as, as a resource and a, and a viable option. So you can always check out the newest shows on my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. And I want to encourage you to also follow me on Facebook. That's Cynthia Hyatt, Inc. That's INC for Incorporated. All of the um, podcasts we house are on iTunes, Stitcher, and um, SoundCloud, and you can also find them here on the, the radio station. And so please make sure that you, you are able to take advantage of that. So we were talking in this last segment about reasons for suicide, and we left off with, we, we were talking about the majors, which is more of the psychiatric disorders like bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, depression, drug and alcohol abuse, post-traumatic stress disorder, schizophrenia. Then we have the lifestyle issues or things that happen to us and, and, and the feelings that we might have that due to maybe a mental illness, we may not be able to handle as well. And when I say a mental illness, I'm not 
necessarily talking about the majors like schizophrenia. So we might have feelings of shame. Maybe we don't like how we handled something, and it just becomes a chronic state. We may have chronic feelings of guilt. Um, we, may, we may have been victimized in our past, and so we have some unresolved PTSD, which leads us to feel more like a victim, like life happens to me and I have no control over it. Nothing ever good happens to me. And so we might have, have horrible feelings of rejection or loss or loneliness and not feel like we have the skills to manage those really painful and negative feelings. Then we have issues as, as aging. The older that people get, the higher the suicide rate also becomes sometimes. And so in our culture, aging is a big no-no. I mean, that, that causes tremendous amounts of depression in many, many individuals as they, as they have to go through the grief and loss process of recognizing that their body is dying. Their soul, their spirit is not. That Our soul and our spirit, our mind, that, that, those are eternal. But our bodies are not. And our bodies are aging. And we may have death that is happening more often around us. We may um, get into more drug and alcohol abuse, or we may have drug and alcohol abuse that now has gone on for quite some time and has become part of a lifestyle, which ushers in a tremendous amount of depression. And unfortunately, we may have some depression that led to the drug and alcohol abuse, and drug and alcohol also creates depression. So we kind of get a double whammy with those. We also have, like I said, emotional trauma. There may be some serious, serious physical illness, and that's where we get into the, the ideas of euthanasia or mercy killing. Maybe we are unemployed. Maybe we have serious money problems. And so you can understand that there are a lot of things in our world that contribute to this idea that Satan loves. It is his favorite, favorite thing, and that is that of suicide. And so he many times comes in just like an army to continue to talk to us when we are already down, he talks us down even farther and condemns us and oppresses us and lies to us. And so we see this for adults, but what, what happens to our young people? What happens, what, what happens here? We have some in teenagers. They may have access to guns more readily, and they don't have the judgment. They don't have a, a brain fully online. Maybe they're, one of their family members have, have um, completed a suicide or one of their friends. Maybe they heard about somebody at school. Maybe there's a history of hurting themselves on purpose. Maybe they have some self-harm issues. Maybe they have a history of feeling neglected or being neglected or abused. Maybe they live in a community where there's um, a lot of... Um, Outbreaks of suicide in young people. Maybe they have a lot of violence in the community. Maybe the community they live in is very oppressed. Maybe a romantic breakup. And they have no one to help them sort through all of those feelings. And so you can see that there are so many things that can tip that for someone. And you have to remember that suicide, like any other condition, is still unique to the individual. There's a lot of qualifying factors. There are a lot of commonalities. Like I can tell you all these these um these titles, these, these title headings of why someone might commit suicide. But it's still unique to the person. This is why the biggest thing that alleviates suicide is connectedness. When we are connected to people, and we are going to talk more about that um, later on today, but also in next week's show. So I want to make sure that you remember to tune into the show next week or, or make sure you listen to it as a podcast. 
So we do know that men are more likely to suicide than women, but the sad thing is we are seeing a huge increase in females. So I want you to join me in the next segment as we finish up understanding suicide, euthanasia, mercy killing, what God has to say about it, how we can alleviate it. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Thank you for joining me today. And if you're just tuning in right now, we are talking about these very, very deep, very heavy issues of suicide and euthanasia. And we ended that last segment talking about some of the reasons why people may do this. And there, I, I want to give you now some symptoms that you may see in someone if, if they are maybe contemplating suicide, close to suicide, if they are struggling with suicidal ideations. And so... This is not always, but people may show certain signs. Sometimes they don't show any sign at all. But you may see some of these, if, or if you've known someone to suicide, you may think back, oh, they did do some of those. And so sometimes they may have trouble concentrating or thinking clearly. And this can be due to depression. and can be due to being very distracted by the fact that they are contemplating suicide. They might start to give away many of their belongings and things that you know were very precious to them. It's like putting their affairs in order. Uh, They may see some sudden behavioral changes, especially someone that has typically had a lot of anxiety is very, very calm. I had a client that had committed suicide, and I had only met him one time. And that session, I knew that it was too late. I knew that he had already crossed over. He had already made the decision I did everything that I could to help him not do that. I did everything I could to delay it as long as I could because that's what we're trying to do with people that want to commit suicide. We are biding time. We are doing everything we can to keep them here so we can work this out. And um, I had reports from his friends. He, he did it over a holiday, and he had been at a party. And he had promised me that when we got back from this different season that he would meet with me. We had a session on the books that he had promised me that he would meet with me. And he had uh, committed suicide prior to that session. And so I had a, one of his friends had called me and let me know about what had happened and had remarked about how at peace he was, how happy he was, going around just talking to everybody, hugging everybody, saying goodbye. And the majority of the people at the party had known some of his condition and were kind of concerned, but they thought, well, maybe he got some stuff figured out. Maybe he got it worked out and said he was going to go see a therapist. So maybe some things got fixed. And and very quickly after that party, he had suicided. And so you want to take some your gut seriously. And, and you see, I only met him one time, but I knew in my gut I could feel it. And so you want to take your gut seriously. It's always better to be safe than sorry. So you may see them losing interest in activities they usually enjoyed. You may see more destructive behaviors like heavier drinking or the use of drugs or self-mutilating, self-harm, not paying bills, spending money inappropriately, having illicit sex if they, you know, when they don't typically do that. They may pull away from friends. They may not want to go out. They may start having trouble at work and at school. They may even start talking about death or suicide as an option. And they may say, well, not for me, but I can see why people would do it. 
or these types of things. They, they may start talking about feeling hopeless or guilty. And so arranging things to take their own life by buying a gun, stocking up on medications, um, if they're on medication, not taking it, but stocking up on it. And so we do have treatment, and people that are at risk, they may not seek treatment for lots of reasons. And usually they want to say to you, nothing will help. Or they'll say, I've tried everything. Or I don't want to tell anyone I have these problems. Or everybody's going to think weird things about me. They're going to think I'm, I'm psycho or that there's, I have so much weakness. And so they may also not know where to get help. And the person might need emergency treatment after a suicide attempt. And so if they've had an attempt and they survived, we really want to intervene fast. But if you think that there's any chance of this, you want to remind yourself, this is a mistake this is a choice that cannot be undone. So one of the things that you want, can do about prevention, certainly avoiding drugs and alcohol and prescribed medications, this reduces the risk of suicide in homes with children and teenagers. So you want to be very careful what you have in your home. And you do not want to keep alcohol in the home. If you do, you want to keep it locked up. And you don't want to keep guns in the home. If you do, you want to make sure they are locked up and the bullets are separate from the gun and locked in different places. And so when we have older adults, that's a little bit more difficult because they may have a tendency to see this more as euthanasia. They may want to elicit a mercy killing, or they may just commit suicide. And those are harder to deal with when we have an older adult because we have less ways of monitoring what's going on with them. But we still do many of the same things. So I want to talk very briefly about this um, show that I started. The whole reason I wanted to do this was the 13 reasons why. And there are many criticisms for this show, and, and I am one of them, because it really suggests that bullying alone led to this young girl, Hannah, taking her life. And noting that while it may be a continuing factor, a contributing factor, you have to understand suicidal ideations that she was experiencing are far, far more often the result of a bullied person having a treatable mental illness. So what we're saying is she was bullied. And like I was saying earlier in the show, there are many things we experience in our life that if we have an underlying mental illness, we're not able to cope with it, manage it, process it, the way maybe someone that does not struggle with a mental illness. So you want to think about the fact that these behaviors, absolutely we need to stop these behaviors. We need to really work on positive peer pressure in our schools, in our homes, in our churches, in our neighborhood, that, that really come against these types of behaviors. But that isn't necessarily the cure. There's a lot of people that are bullied or have breakups or their parents divorce or they don't get into the school that they want or they feel ugly or fat, that grow through those things. And we have a lot of adults that, ma that experience those and still manage those things. We have a lot of adults that have terrible setbacks, business setbacks, um, public humiliating mistakes that they have made, and they come back. You know, Robert Downey Jr., one of the biggest comebacks of all time, and so we have people that come back all the time. This is why we want to really work on time, biding our time, that we make sure we have time with these people. And so the problem with this show is that, one, it glamorizes and romanticizes and dramatizes this horrible thing of suicide. 
It also puts the emphasis on the external world, that if we fix the external world, then nobody will suicide. That's not true. It's an internal issue. It's an internal construct. It doesn't mean we don't work on the outside world and making it a healthier place, a more ethical place, a, a place of justice. But we don't want to give our children, friends, family, the impression that if we just fix the outside world, everybody will be okay. We need to be addressing what's going on inside that person. I need to get to know that person. I need to know my children. I need to know my friends, my spouse, my parents, my neighbors. Because like I said earlier, connection, connection is what keeps people from suiciding. And so the biggest problem with this, this show, and I really, really want to encourage you to not watch the show. Please don't watch the show. Please do not let anyone under the age of 25 watch this show. Do not encourage them to watch the show. I have to help you understand and take seriously that suicide is very contagious. It's extremely contagious. What happens is if one person suicides, all the people that have suicidal ideations that were thinking they shouldn't do that, all of a sudden begin to entertain more ideations, more, more notions, more options as to how, and they begin to see it as an actual viable solution. They begin to see it as maybe not that bad. If they're doing it, maybe I can do it. And so it has a tipping point. So you want to be very careful about the issue of suicide. And that when a young person suicides, if it's one of your children's friends, that you maybe even take your child to someone to talk to them about the suicide attempt of their friend or if their friend actually accomplished the suicide. That needs to be talked about. This needs to be out in the open. This needs to be seen as not a viable option that it doesn't fix anything. It is a travesty and a tragedy, and it hurts so many people. And the person suiciding, you have to remember, people that suicide are not in their right mind. Nobody does that in their right mind. Nobody even thinks about it. And you have to recognize that we are hardwired to live. God has hardwired us for eternity. This is why it is such an evil thing to do to ourselves. It is an evil people do it. Evil people, we're not saying that people that suicide are in any way evil, but it is from the enemy of our soul. He desperately wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And that is John 10.10. And Christ warns us about the wiles of the enemy and what the enemy does. So you have to understand that when we are guarding people that are more compromised or more vulnerable or more sensitive. We are guarding these people, their hearts and their minds. On top of the fact that we are working on connection. The more connected our environments are, the more connected our, our neighborhoods, our culture, our groups are, the less a person is willing to suicide. And we have so many studies that show countless um, stories of clients that wanted to suicide, and if they were mad at the therapist or the doctor, that kept them alive. Because being angry at someone means I'm connected. So please don't be afraid of the person in your life that is considering suicide, that they'll be mad at you. I'm not saying to do something inappropriate. What I'm saying, do not be afraid of that. What you're wanting, first and foremost, is a connection with this person. So it's imperative 
that we really practice grace, forgiveness, mercy, and patience. And we recognize that there's something very, very upsetting, very disturbing, very big going on in that person's life if they are willing to, to contemplate or attempt suicide. Because one of the hardest things for anyone that tries to suicide is when their body stays alive. Because God has hardwired our bodies to live. They, God has hardwired our bodies to be committed to our soul. So that we can stay here on the planet as long as God has ordained us to stay until he calls us home. So one of the hardest things for individuals that try to commit suicide is if their bodies live. Understanding that the hardwiring of humans is to live and to have a life and have it abundantly. And we need to be encouraging others around us as well as ourselves as to how to accomplish that. So again, I want to encourage you to listen to the show next week. We are going to talk about all the reasons why not to suicide, how to help somebody with that, how to understand more deeply what's going on. And please understand that we are not condemning the person that has suicided. Please understand that nobody that commits suicide is in their right mind. And the majority of people that suicide don't really think they're going to actually die. They think they're going to be able to still be here on earth, but just without pain. They think they'll be able to see what's going on, or they envision an afterlife as to what they wish their life actually were. So please understand that we don't know what the afterlife is. We have more of a guarantee through our faith, but we've never been there, and we have not had people come back other than Jesus. And he is the one that says, I go to prepare a place for you. So you want to make sure that you don't gamble by killing. Killing yourself and taking the risk. That we want people staying down here long enough to be healthy enough to have the life that God has called them to have, that God wants them to have. So thank you again for listening today. Please make sure that you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can listen to this show in its entirety. As well as next week, we are going to be talking at length about what is euthanasia in more depth. What does the Bible say about euthanasia and about suicide? And why, why we should not do this. So have a great week. I'm praying for you. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com, Facebook at Cynthia Hyatt Inc., Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes for the podcast. And have a blessed week. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you. We'd like to remind listeners that this show isn't a replacement for professional counseling or therapy. The messages and teachings shared during this show are given as a way to teach listeners with ideas and insights about how to become your own best version. Cynthia is available as a keynote or guest speaker for corporate or spiritual events. To contact Cynthia, go to CynthiaHyatt.com. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear a replay at any time at faithtalk1360.com. Join us again next Sunday at 4 p.m. for Conversations with Cynthia on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ.